The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. For everybody who loves God and understands His eternal purposes concerning Israel and the nations, the two activities that we as believers must be engaged in right now are intercession and evangelism. This is because we're living in a peculiar period of extended grace between the church age and the rising again of Israel with the return of the Messiah. Whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we must do urgently. And if He, the Lord of the harvest, declared the harvest is ready, we must believe Him. It doesn't matter how hopeless the situation appears to be or how evil the times have become. We must follow the Lord's instructions to lift up our eyes and perceive that the harvest is ready. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. One of my prayer mentors, Lance Lambert of Blessed Memory, used to petition the Lord in our prayer conferences in Jerusalem by saying, Lord, touch our hearts. Deliver us from being superficial. Deliver us from being shallow. And deliver us from believing that we're something that we're not. Bring us, Lord, into real, genuine intercession. Yes, my prayer to God is to create within believers a spirit of legitimate intercession that will bring about the fulfillment of biblical prophecies and a great harvest of souls in our generation. No doubt during the Great Tribulation there will be one of the greatest harvests of souls in the history of the world because of the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and the preaching of the two witnesses, all of whom are mentioned in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation says there'll even be angelic gospel preaching during that soon coming dispensation. There has to be a great harvest of saved souls, otherwise there would be nobody alive to populate the messianic kingdom after the Messiah returns to eliminate the goats. The goats are a biblical idiom for all the rebellious unbelievers who take the mark of the beast. The goats will be separated from the sheep. And the sheep are the faithful believers who endured to the end. But what about now, the days before the rapture? Yes, I do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of every believer who's in Christ. All of those who belong to Messiah. Not one of us will be snatched from his hand, but we will be snatched to glory when he comes for us in the clouds. Amazingly, that's exactly what the New Testament teaches. The Lord will descend into the atmosphere with a shout, with a shofar of God, and will be caught up. But in the meantime, we don't stare into the clouds like the disciples did on Ascension Day. Do you remember that two witnesses at that time told them that this same Jesus will come in the clouds the way he left. But in the meantime, we have urgent work to be done. And the time for us to work is quickly running out. 
Can we not also expect a harvest of souls now? Or must we just endure the apostasy? Well, if Jesus instructed us even nearly 2,000 years ago to look up at the harvest because it's ripe, I believe we still have in no uncertain terms our marching orders. But I've learned in my walk with the Lord that intercession always precedes a harvest of souls. Those who labor in prayer with tears will rejoice, bringing in the sheaves. As if bringing in the harvest at the end of the times of the Gentiles were not enough, we also have a duty to prepare in prayer the restoration of Israel. And when the last Gentile is saved, and who knows whether you or I or somebody else will be privileged to preach the last Gentile into the kingdom, then God will turn once again to the salvation of Israel. Day by day, as a watchman on the walls, I find myself living in Isaiah 62. It says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be silent until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning lamp. God says, I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem, and they shall never hold their peace day or night. You who are the Lord's remembrancers, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Amen. We're at the point in world and church history when these verses are being progressively fulfilled. For many years, I was privileged to be in many prayer meetings with Lance Lambert of Blessed Memory, and he was quite well known in international circles among people who pray for Israel. And Lance used to say that the word intercession has been greatly devalued, just like the term born again has been somehow cheapened or devalued. Many claim, you see, to be intercessors, but very few actually engage in true intercession, which is the deepest form of prayer, and it's very costly. Well, Lance was a very entertaining speaker, and he lived into his 80s, so he exuded a certain gravitas, and he could get away with saying things that I was actually thinking. With his wry British sense of humor, he used to talk about how so many self-proclaimed intercessors act crazy and bizarre and, quite frankly, very soulish in many prayer meetings. And he used to quip, Lord, deliver me from them, because these soulish prayer warriors may mean well, but they actually get in the way of real intercession. And I might add that some people who wander into prayer meetings unfortunately have an exhibitionist spirit and enjoy dominating the prayer meeting. And you can be sure the devil himself attends many prayer meetings from time to time just to try to disrupt. Unfortunately, there are many immature believers in Christian circles who somehow think you have to be a prophet or a mystic to be an intercessor. And others are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But Lance taught that if your head is in the clouds all the time, if you can't manage your household, if you can't run a business, if you're a woman and you've been in the broom closet praying all day while the children are unfed and not put to bed, you're not going to be a serious intercessor that God honors. 
Lance often said that the prophet Daniel was the busiest man in the whole Babylonian empire, but Daniel found time to pray three times a day at his window towards Jerusalem. It was frustrating to Lance and to me to hear men and even ministers of the gospel say, I don't have time to be an intercessor. I'll leave that work to others, meaning to the old ladies, of course. But the greatest intercessors I've ever met or known were often men like Reese Howells, who founded the Bible College of Wales and whose busy life was founded upon the principles of intercession. And evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, who my husband and I knew from firsthand experience. Reinhard knew how to pray before gospel campaigns. Intercession was a priority with him. And although he had a whole team of intercessors, he set the example by holding a prayer meeting every morning at 8 o'clock, always led by himself. Reinhardt didn't just count on the intercessory team to do all the praying. Of course, with so much spiritual warfare before each gospel campaign, often in hostile territory, those prayer meetings were essential. So many people talk about the power of God and they want the power of God in their lives, but why then is the prayer meeting the most poorly attended meeting at church? It's a big mistake to think lightly of prayer meetings as something being optional. Because whenever there's genuine revival, the prayer room has been the war room and the power room. In fact, the Bible teaches that the prayer meeting is the appointed place to receive power from God. Did you know that? Well, it may come as a revelation to some, but in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, which gives us a record of the prayer life of the early church, we learn that Jesus ordained the prayer meeting as the place to receive divine power from on high. Acts chapter 2 records, and they were all together in one place, lifting up their prayer in one accord, and as they waited in the upper room, suddenly a sound like the sound of a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 120 disciples experienced individual tongues of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. There was a separate flame for every name, as Reinhard Bonke used to say, and the disciples were all filled and clothed with the dunamis power that Jesus had promised them to be his witnesses. You may say uh, that you don't think that you can win souls. You don't think perhaps you have the right temperament. Perhaps you're too shy and so forth. Well, if you've received power from on high, I guarantee you'll be capable of winning souls no matter what your personality type happens to be. Because it's not about you. The gospel, in fact, has an efficacy to win souls if we will only open our mouths and share it. The apostle Peter, don't forget, had cowered and he had denied the Lord. And he had to be restored through the Lord's pastoral ministry after Jesus' resurrection. But suddenly, on the day of Pentecost, Peter became emboldened as a lion. He stood up and preached a sermon extemporaneously, and 3,000 persons were saved that day in Jerusalem. 
the Apostle James and John, whom the Lord nicknamed sons of thunder because they wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy people, were baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so they received supernatural power to win souls rather than destroy souls. When I think of the times that God has mightily touched me by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was often while I was in a prayer meeting, whether here in Jerusalem or in a cottage prayer meeting in England. So if you're seeking the power of God for service, you can best find the power of God in a prayer meeting where the presence of the Holy Spirit is welcomed. The prayer meeting is the Lord's appointed place to receive power. Hallelujah. But a prayer meeting is far more than that, of course, because a prayer meeting is a place where powerful deliverances are decreed and where we often receive our marching orders supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. I can give you some examples. In Acts chapter 12, we're given the portrait of another Jerusalem prayer meeting. This time, the Apostle Peter was in prison under threat of being sentenced to death for preaching the gospel. The night before King Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping in prison between two soldiers and he was bound with chains. But the church was praying earnestly to God for Peter. And what happened? In the middle of the night, an angel struck Peter on the side and told him to get up. And his chains just supernaturally fell off his wrists. The angel told him to put on his cloak and follow him into the streets. Where the angel disappeared, but Peter carried on to the prayer meeting. And nobody was more surprised than the ones who were praying for Peter's release. They were just beginning to learn how powerfully God does answer prayers if we'll only ask and only believe. That's why in our prayer meetings, we must always believe that when we pray for mighty deliverances, they will happen. I also want to mention something very important about the power of prayer meetings concerning spiritual guidance, which we all need from time to time. I can think of many times when during a prayer meeting, I've received confirmation from the Lord about committing myself to, for example, a ministry trip especially to potentially dangerous places. Confirmation can come through scripture verses being read through a prayer or a prophetic word during an anointed prayer meeting. I recall one occasion in Jerusalem when I was feeling led to take a prayer team into the nation of Iraq. This was while Saddam Hussein was still in power. I was seeking the Lord about whether or not it was his will to go to Iraq at that time. And a sister in the prayer meeting, who was always very prophetic, came forward and decreed certain scriptures in a loud voice that were a perfect confirmation that I should go to Iraq, although she didn't fully know the intentions of my heart. Well, the journey into Iraq was very successful, praise the Lord, and the scripture verses I received in that prayer meeting strengthened me along the way. To receive confirmation of our marching orders is, in fact, a very biblical practice. For example, also in the book of Acts, while the believers in Antioch were praying, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, the believers placed their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off on the first missionary journey. And so the church's first missionary journey received a commissioning from the Holy Spirit in a prayer meeting. Well, I can think of two women preachers that I've known and admired who received their marching orders to go to China in prayer meetings. Well, Paul and Barnabas were to encounter many hardships in their journey, but I'm sure the memory and confirmation of their call in the supernatural atmosphere of that Holy Spirit prayer meeting always stayed with them as an assurance that their journey was in the will of the Lord, no matter what perplexing things happen along the way. Do you recall that the Apostle Thomas missed out on seeing the Lord the first time by not being in a prayer meeting? So you don't want to miss out on something vitally important by being too busy or too lazy to go to the prayer meeting. Truly, it's been rightly said that if we'll spend more time on our knees about God's work, we'll often do what's right and the right workers and the right plans will materialize and come to pass. Think how many churches have been built in Europe alone since the beginning of the church age. But did you know that the very first service of believers in Europe was a simple prayer meeting? In Acts chapter 16, Paul received the call to Macedonia in a dream. And on a Sabbath day, he went outside the city gate to the river where he had expected to find a place of prayer. He sat down and began simply to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was Lydia, a merchant of purple cloth, who was a worshiper of God. And Lydia's heart was so open that she received the truth about Messiah, and her home became the first church in Europe. And so a prayer meeting was the first foothold of the gospel for Europeans. We must never discount the power of prayer. The same type of simple prayer meetings at riverbanks in cottages, in homes, in churches, in restaurants, can bring about a revival at any time. That's the purpose of the Lydia prayer movement. If the great apostle Paul began with a humble prayer meeting, so can we. Well, Lance Lambert used to explain the difference between regular prayer and intercession. True intercession begins with a knowledge of the will of God. It's not hit and miss like prayer can be. You see, prayer is basically just pouring out our hearts before the Lord. You may not know the will of the Lord on a certain matter, particularly guidance concerning a vocation or a marriage partner. But as you pour out your heart to Him, that's prayer. Intercession, on the other hand, begins when God reveals his mind on a matter. A biblical example would be the time when God informed Abraham of his plans to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the wickedness of those cities had reached the tipping point. The situation was beyond repair and judgment was imminent. So in this case, Abraham knew the mind of the Lord, but immediately began to intercede because his nephew Lot and Lot's family were living there. So Abraham interceded, and it's a powerful study in how to intercede before the throne of God. And I've dealt with this subject in other videos. 
Elsewhere in the Bible, God also said to Moses, Stand aside, Moses, I'm going to destroy this nation, and I'll make another nation through you. But Moses, bless him, wasn't selfish. He wasn't egocentric. He could have relished the idea of replacing Abraham and being the father of a new Mosaic nation, but no. Moses began to intercede on behalf of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, Moses said, you can't do it. Your name's at stake. Moses said, what will the nation say if you destroy Israel? What will the Egyptians say when they find out that you have destroyed your people after you brought them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea with all of those miracles? What a true man Moses was. No child of God can follow the Lord and be egocentric. Intercession is felt pain in your spirit on behalf of others. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul resembled Moses in a similar selfless prayer for Israel. He said, I pray to God for them, my fellow Israelites. I'm ready to be cursed and for my name even to be blotted out that they might be saved. That's intercession. Paul knew the mind of God concerning Israel. He knew that God hasn't rejected Israel and that God's ultimate desire is that all of Israel shall be saved. So intercession begins with the knowledge of the mind of God on any given subject. But intercessory exploits must be carried out by those who know God, by those who know his character and know his precepts and his prophecies. As much as we love the Palestinian people and pray for true justice for them, I have to say solemnly that if you're praying against Israel and if you're hoping for Israel's destruction, I'm sorry to say you don't know the Bible and you don't have a grasp concerning end-time prophecy. And therefore, you can't be an effective, true intercessor. Your prayers will be warped if you don't understand Israel's place in prophecy. Now a question remains, why do we need to pray about everything that God says in his word is inevitable? Everything God says concerning Israel in the last days will come to pass. So why does the Lord even seek for an intercessor to pray about all these matters? After all, it would be a lot easier for the Lord to act without including us fallible human beings in the equation. But mysteriously, the Lord says, if you don't pray, I won't act. And why is this? Well, I believe one reason is that God wants our involvement as believers entering into the fellowship of the Lord's sufferings, which Paul mentioned in Philippians 3.10. It never ceases to amaze me that God Almighty seeks the fellowship of believers. And through intercession, he trains us now so we'll be competent to reign with him throughout eternity. Lance Lambert used to say that the calling to be an intercessor is the highest calling a child of God can receive. That's quite a statement. He believed the call of an intercessor is greater than an apostle greater than a prophet, greater than a pastor and teacher, greater than an evangelist. Because anybody who holds these ministry offices truly 
is an intercessor in the first place. The truth is, you'll never be a powerful sent one or a powerful evangelist without first paying the price of fasting and intercessory prayer. So to be an intercessor is the primary highest calling any child of God can receive. Intercession is, after all, a lifestyle. In effect, an intercessor is on call 24 hours of every day, seven days of every week, of every month, of every year. You can intercede when you're cooking. You can intercede when you're cleaning. You can intercede when you're driving or when you're sitting at a desk doing business. An intercessor instinctively multitasks. You begin step by step as the Holy Spirit trains you in the school of intercession and brings you into an even greater understanding of his heart and his mind because Jesus is alive and he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants you also to be an intercessor and a soul winner. The Bible promises that all who call upon the Lord shall be saved and you can be ready for the Lord's soon return by receiving him now as your Lord and Savior. I often say being ready now is better than getting ready later when it may be too late. So if you need to forgive somebody, do it today. And if you're in a wrong relationship, get out of it quickly. Just ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you can be ready for the Lord's return. And in the meantime, our prayer convocations in the Holy Land provide opportunities for you to learn how to intercede. So if you have any questions about our ministry or how you can participate in our exciting prophetic prayer convocations, I invite you to connect with me on the social media or at our website, exploits.tv. At our website, you can request our free color magazine, Exploits, and all our videos are available to watch online anytime. Each day, we post important news items to keep you informed. So would you please tell your friends about our website? And you can also ask to receive our weekly email update of new videos and news. Until next time, always contending for the faith and praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom. What an amazing panorama of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. To the east is the Mount of Olives, and beyond that, the Judean wilderness, the Dead Sea, and the nation of Jordan, where presently 600,000 Syrian refugees have escaped. It's hard to imagine that right beyond this horizon, there is a holocaust going on amongst the Christian population of the Middle East. That's why the Jerusalem Channel has been created, to bring you a perspective of biblical events in the Middle East. When you visit our website every day, we have updates on news, prophecy, and what's happening and how it all tells us that Jesus is coming soon to establish his rule in this city. We want to invite you to become a supporter of the Jerusalem Channel. If you give in the United States, please know that your gift is tax deductible. And in the United Kingdom, we can claim gift aid on your donation. 
And so we invite you to get behind the Jerusalem Channel. There's never been a day like right now. We have so many opportunities to share the gospel in the remaining times of the Gentiles. Israel is rising again and God is visiting this nation. So stay in touch at exploits.tv. I'm Christine Doric. Shalom.